The Business Buzz Podcast. The Business, the Business Buzz, Buzz with Mudiwa Mokjustus Gabaza. Good evening and welcome to the Business Buzz for your weekly dose of business, finance and economics news right here on VFM. That's 88.1. We're broadcasting live from our studios right here in Bramfontein, Johannesburg. Uh, the time has just gone by three minutes after 7 p.m., which means uh, we're giving you some of the best in uh, the world of business. My name is Mudiwa Mob, just discovers, and I'll be your host for tonight's show. Now, who's to say that the world of business can't be entertaining? Definitely make sure you hold on to your seats as we seek to keep you entertained, educated, and intrigued about the world of business. Now, for today, <clears throat> it is the last. Uh, it is the last Thursday, yeah, of the month, uh, which means, as is our tradition on the business buzz, we get into uh, the brand new heavy. Uh, that's when we feature a young person in South Africa, 35 years and below, who is doing the things in, uh, in their industry. And uh, for today, we're going to be having quite an interesting show uh, because we are going to be joined by uh, uh, Tinashe. Ruzani, who is a co-founder and CEO of Flex Club, which is a car rental platform for ride-hailing drivers uh, that offers them a flexible path to car ownership. But uh, before we get into all that, just some of the things that have been happening uh, through this, um, you know, through this week uh, is just the fact that uh, today I attended a very interesting event um, where Uber. Right, we all know Uber, we know Bolt, and basically these are the ride-sharing platforms. And basically, Uber has uh, launched its Uber Go um, service in uh, Johannesburg, and basically that's now the new lowest tier for passengers. And you'll remember that Uber has a number of different products uh, that they offer to consumers. We have Uber X, I think that's the one that a lot of people use. Uh, there's uh, Uber Black, you know, for everyone that wants to be driven around in style. There's uh, Uber Van. If you and your mates want to go to a party or it's a company function and um, there's a bunch of you and then there's uh, Uber Connect uh, for, you know, the the short distance travel um, when it comes to packages and stuff like that. So today they've launched uh, Uber Go and it's an interesting one simply because it means that they are now coming um, to... I guess look for a clientele in a in in a segment that they hadn't been really serving, but also responding to where uh, the economy is at the moment because uh, a lot of people that were using you know Uber X for example, um, you know over the years perhaps uh, you've lost your job or you know you're just trying to you know save money or you know just make sure that um, you can save wherever you can and they're trying to appeal to a new clientele, but at the same time I do think that they may uh, risk uh, having their margin squeezed a little bit um, because you might have people that are currently using UberX deciding that they're going to go uh, for the lower tier product, which means that they're now squeezing their margins and they would automatically need to have more rides or more cars on the road to make the same amount of money uh, that they, that, uh, they normally would. So, you know, I found that interesting, but more than anything else is just the fact that uh, they're looking at um, the issue of car ownership because uh, that's typically been a big issue and a big big uh, 
you know, strife uh, point for drivers, a lot of them, you know, taking on the burden of leasing cars, of going to finance their vehicles, etc. And now they've partnered up with a company called Move uh, to try and make some of that affordability a bit more accessible. So really keen to see uh, what the, what that's going to mean and uh, what that's going to, how that's going to affect uh, the relationship that Uber has with its drivers going forward. Coming back to, for today's show, uh, keep with the car theme, uh, it's good that we're going to be talking to Tinashe just around how they're, uh, you know, thinking around the car ownership. Uh, so definitely make sure you turn, uh, you don't turn that down, and uh, keep in touch uh, with us on social media. On Facebook, we have our FM of Voice of Vits. You can find our other Facebook page uh, that is Vits Radio Academy. And then on Twitter, we're at VARFM, and then our hashtag is hashtag business buzz. Remember that you can stream the station live on varfm.co.za uh, forward slash business. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can also find our great content on vits.journalism.co.za uh, forward slash business. You can also go and check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify if you happen to miss the show so that's how the show is looking like uh, for the rest of the hour otherwise on the other side of this we get into the business wrap grand squad vibes i real thing so follow follow at vowfm on instagram and light up your feed business wrap with lebo pasha in our business wrap uh, in our business wrap we give you we give you some highlights of the week's top trending business and economics news. And on the line for today, we are joined by Lebo Pasha, who is the general manager for uh, Southern Africa at the African Management Institute to give us some insight into what's been happening in and around the economy for the week. Lebo, greetings to you. Greetings to you, Madura, and the Vata today. No, no, no. Thank you so much for being with us. Now, I understand that uh, you are concerned about the global chip shortage. Uh, I've actually been following this, you know, for a couple of months now, and it's actually quite interesting because I saw I saw the other day that the likes of AMD and uh, Texas Instruments were bringing out their results, and there's been a lot of demand, all of that stuff. Talk to us about this one. Yeah, there's really been some huge demand for chips. And just to take a step back, I think um, the age of thinking of microchips going into very expensive and exclusive gadgets is gone. Um, nowadays, everything from the mobile phone in your hand, your radio, um, your laptop, even your home appliances. So even your TV, if you've got a smart TV, if you've got a, a decoder at home, um, all of those devices use a microchip. And another place where most people forget, your car. So if you've got a car, you're driving in a car, or using any form of transportation, be it a train or a bus, all of those forms of transportation use chips. And what we've seen happening with um, the COVID pandemic is that there's been a huge drive uh, pushing people to work from home, and it's hit most of the computer companies, whether it's a Dell or HP, or even Apple, which has come through and said um, even the iMac and iPads, um, are going to see some delayed production, and they're expecting to lose uh, more than three billion US dollars uh, from lost sales or lost potential sales. So, chips are in everything nowadays. Um, almost every single smart device uh, appliance that we have in the house does have some some form of electronic uh, circuitry, and they're all impacted by the shortage. And then. 
sorry about that. But I think uh, the other thing that's been happening in the world is the fact that, um, you know, very sad to hear about uh, Mango. Uh, what's happening on this front? Uh, you know, is it is it the end of an era? Um, I don't think yet, because um, despite the problems that FAA as a group have had, Mango has, has historically really done well. Um, they, they've survived really long. Um, they've outshone a lot of other um, low-cost airlines, some of them having very strange names, like One Time, uh, which was a one-hit one wonder and disappeared on us. And um, even though we've seen a, a new entrant um, lift in the space, I do see Mango carrying on. Um, I think the biggest headache is now more around routes that were, act- were, were being serviced by Mango, um, not the busiest routes, which is obviously our Joburg to Cape Town route, our Joburg to Durban route, but the less common routes, like uh, Bloemfontein to Cape Town route. So if you're staying in Bloom or you're staying in Cape Town and you want to travel between the two cities, you're going to most likely have to start paying a little bit more for your flight between those two cities. COVID has helped with the number of um, or reducing the demand for flights, but I think we are definitely seeing more travel between most of our cities, a lot more air travel, and yeah, it would be sad to see Mango go. Uh, do you think that there's any chance of uh, you know a recovery? Because it sometimes feels as if some of these companies are literally dying off just as we're on the precipice of going back to normal. Yeah, I think there is definitely a, a real opportunity to save Mango. It, it definitely, unfortunately, lies in the hands of the business rescue practitioners and how this business will be turned around as a state-owned entity. Um, but on its own, standing on its own, it's really done well in South Africa. It, it's really brought air travel and cheap travel to people across the country. So most of our major cities are being serviced from... Um, Cape Town, Bloom, um, Kabecha, George, Durban. And what it's done is it, it, it's really changed the cost of travel. And I really do hope that it, they, are, they are able to save it, um, even with the much lower volumes. So um, what we've heard so far is that the five uh, planes that Mango does own have been in disguise, the Boeing 737. Um, they have been running up until they had a few issues around payments with the airport company of South Africa. So the the company that runs our airports. So I think once that is sorted, we should see Mango coming back um, on stream. And and yes, I hope that it will be back for good. Um, It will be good to see some students and other people that need to get around the country having an option of cheaper flights who need the competition. Uh, we certainly hope that it does happen. And then on the last point, uh, the situation in India does really, really look dire at the moment. Yes, um, yes. The, the situation in India is, is quite scary if you're following it. Uh, we've seen um, daily infections of more than 300,000 cases um, for, for almost a week now. Um, and, and when you try and understand some of the causes behind this, it starts getting a bit scary because it brings it much closer to home. Uh, one of the big issues was a double mutation variant that came through. Um, that's been targeting younger and younger people and spreading a lot faster and, and not really impacted by some of the antibodies people have had from vaccines. We've seen social gatherings being a huge problem, especially with religious festivals, and people taking the opportunity of lower cases about two months ago to start having weddings and other family celebrations would be delaying. But the scary part is, again, um, India 
produces close to half of the vaccines for the world. So they are the people who, who are helping keep the world healthy. And they themselves have had a very slow vaccine rollout and they did not manage to get ahead of this outbreak. And we're seeing the same thing happening in South Africa, which is why I'm saying it, it is starting to look scary. And you look at that combined with another factor that India's healthcare system just wasn't prepared for the surge in cases. Um, it's been coming for about two months, but nothing much has been done. There's been no lasting capacity ramp up to allow the healthcare system to deal with this. And this, this could really... Um, be a sign of bad things to come for developing economies. And I hope not for South Africa. I hope we will learn from this and already start doing what we need to do. All right. So that's been us uh, with the Lebo Pasha, who is uh, the general manager for uh, the African Management Institute for Southern Africa, giving us some insight into the week's top trending business and economics news. And he was highlighting what's been happening um, with, uh, you know, the potential closure of uh, Mango. Uh, you know, that one is not in a good financial state at the moment, just hoping uh, that they'll be able to revive the business as things, uh, some go back to normal, uh, highlighting the global chip shortage that's happening right now and uh, you know possibly some lessons that all of us can learn uh, from the surge in COVID-19 cases that we are seeing over in India so that's been it on the other side of this we get into the state of your 100 rand business rap with Lebo Pasha the Buffalo Index on the business bus in our Buffalo Index, we seek to tell you the state of your 100 Rand, looking at what your Buffalo can do for you. And for today, since we have um, one of the co-founders of uh, Flex Club, we decided to take, take a deep dive, you know, um, onto their website and just see what can your 100 Rand uh, do for you. So um, we went on the low end of life. Um, if you decide that you're going to go with the VW Polo uh, Vivo, that's going to set you back around uh, 51. Uh, or so buffaloes that's around uh, 5,000 rand uh, or so and then uh, on the high end of life if you decide that you're going to really splurge um, out you're going to be looking at about 150 uh, 155 buffaloes or about 15,000 rand that's for a Mercedes-Benz C-Class all of these are in partnership with Avis uh, but they do have two sides of the business from what I can see Uh, if you're a private driver but on the other side if you're an Uber driver, um, one of the options that they do have there is a VW Polo Vivo, and that's going to set you back about uh, 25 buffaloes uh, per week. And uh, you know that's what it's looking like on that end. So if you're in the if you're in the market and uh, you're interested in uh, re- you know renting a car, uh, that's what things are looking like on the Flex uh, Club website. We're going to be hearing uh, from uh, Tinashe just how you know they come up with some of these prices and uh, the business model that they do have on hand so that's been it on the other side of this we get into the main topic Mob justice on the business bus for today, we are happy uh, and privileged to be joined uh, by Tinashe in studio. Uh, he is uh, a co-founder and a CEO uh, of Flex Club, uh, which is a a car subscription uh, platform and uh, based here in South Africa. Uh, his name is uh, Tinashe Ruzani, and we're going to be talking to him. Uh, firstly, uh, just around the business itself, you know, maybe getting some background around how that business started. 
um, and the team that's actually running the business and uh, maybe looking a little bit into the future just around um, where the business is going and you know what their vision is uh, but remember that if you want to join in the conversation let us know your thoughts if you're someone who has used uh, Flex Club uh, you can let us know on social media we are via female voice of Vits our, the, our other Facebook page is Vits Radio Academy and then on Twitter we're at VARFM and then our hashtag is hashtag business buzz so as I said we are, have uh, Tinashe in studio uh, Tinashe how are you man? Very well and you with you? Uh, no 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 doing alright doing alright that's great I think a good place for us to start because in our Buffalo Index, we've already spoken about, you know, some of the cars that are on offer on the low and upper end. Uh, the fact that uh, you guys are offering to private individuals, uh, to Uber drivers, etc. So um, to get things going, Flex Club, what is it? So Flex Club is a car subscription marketplace. Yeah. So we offer a variety of subscriptions. Mm. Um, for both ride-sharing customers and also private customers, as you pointed out, that allows them to subscribe for a car on a flexible basis. Yeah. Um, if they decide to swap the car or cancel the subscription at any time, they can do so. Uh, when they order a car on our marketplace, we deliver it to their home in under a week. Yeah. And um, it's as simple as that. We try to make it as simple as buying a pair of sneakers online. <laughs> um, I like that. And uh, yeah, we're pretty excited about the, the prospect of what we can do in the South African market, the traction we've seen so far. Um, and we think that this is really the future of how people consume cars. Cars as a service is what some might say. Um, just because a lot of people think that you know, cars are actually an asset. And I think many more people are waking up to the idea that they're not an asset. Yeah. And in fact, it's actually a service that you pay You pay a cost for, whether you're paying that cost to the bank or whether you're paying it to a subscription service like us, yeah. it's all the same. Okay. Uh, before we get into, I guess, the foundations of the business itself, um, I want to draw on something that we're talking about off-air before the show started. And the one of the questions that I asked Inashe was, are you guys uberfying? I guess the space and he gave you know such an amazing answer I, I wish that I had recorded it at the time <laughs> yeah um, so in some regards yes if you think about what Uber did to the market as as far as uh, ride hailing ride sharing or even the taxi market's concerned Uber came to the market and made it frictionless you know some people used to joke that it felt like a remote control for real life you press a button and you see a car come around the corner um, all driven by technology the fact that we have smartphones that we have GPS technology in our smartphones mm. um, where before that the old school method of doing it would have been pick up the phone call the taxi company some dispatch you know, control person would have sent a taxi out to your location and that might have taken an hour to two hours to get to you where in this case it would be a tap of a button and everything streamlined because it's digital Yeah. Um, so to that extent we are you know, uberfying or I like to say we're digitizing yeah. the prospect of car shopping um, and how that works um, and a lot of what we're doing is actually bringing efficiency to how that happens you know so when a customer applies for a car in our marketplace, everything's done online. We verify that it's a real human being. We verify that it's a human being that can afford the car. Yeah. We verify that they actually have some sort of credit track record in the South African market before we deliver the car to their house. Yeah. Um, versus the alternative, which is you have to walk into a dealer, choose a car, <laughs> and negotiate financing, yeah. negotiate insurance, and then figure out whether you want an extended maintenance plan. Mm. Um, I like to say jokingly that we offer the ability to date a car before you marry a car. Ah, 
Um, and you know the old school way of buying a car is you have to marry a car after deciding in two weeks whether or not this is the car you want to marry. Mm. So the other one is uh, I think you touched on it. You know in the beginning, um, just around the fact that one way or another money is going out right whether you choose to give the money to flex club or to the bank money is going out right so from a value proposition point of view how are you guys how do you guys position yourselves when trying to get you know a share of someone's wallet yeah so i think the important thing is to actually reflect on how car buying works in south africa first and first and foremost um the majority of south africans actually finance their cars new car buyers yeah. finance their vehicles so most people can't afford to outlay pure cash yeah. to buy a car and furthermore the majority of those financing finance on what's called a balloon payment yeah um so the default if you ever read the fine print on a tv ad with a car on it and it says from two triple nine for one triple nine the fine print reads that it's a 72 month finance agreement with a 35 percent balloon payment mm. That's now seen as a default in the market. That default is shifting, obviously, because affordability is shifting. It's now moving to 96 months. Um, so with that construct, what you're agreeing to do when you finance a car in a balloon payment is saying, I'm going to rent this car from the bank, and in six years' time, 72 months, I'm going to buy the car from the bank for 35% of the price that the car is worth today. So we said that's a very dangerous construct because it actually destroys wealth. Uh, what some call negative equity. Mm. Basically, it's a phenomenon that occurs when you have a loan tied to a purchase where what you owe the bank for the loan is more than what the value of the asset or the the, the good you've purchased. Mm. And that will always be the case on a balloon payment, a balloon payment financing construct for the first four years of the six years. Yeah. Uh, so we said, look, that's a very dangerous construct. Why are South Africans buying cars that way? It's because there is no alternative. Um, the other stat was interesting for us was most new car buyers in South Africa actually change their car after 38 months. Mm. So now reflect on that. People are financing a car over 72 months, even though in three years' time they want a different car. <laughs> uh, and in three years' time, they're going to owe the bank more mm. than what the car that they have yeah. is worth. So which means to get the new car that they want, they have to now pay the bank a little bit more uh, uh, than, than what they get when they sell the car or trade in the car. Mm. We said, well, that's actually just a mismatch in the products available to the consumers. Yeah. Um, and so our proposition was that we could provide flexible subscriptions that rival the monthly cost of a balloon payment plus insurance plus a maintenance plan uh, without tying you down to this long-term commitment or tying you down to this notion of negative equity or yeah. destroying your wealth. Yeah. If you accept right now that a car is a service, it's an expense, yeah. it's not an asset, it's not an investment. Yeah. Um, and that's where we come in saying that this is a better service, a better expense uh, for you than adopting a balloon pay payment uh, construct. Now, taking a step back, right, because you've given us the value proposition, how did you arrive at a position where you said, okay, cool, we can start a business and offer this, right? Because uh, my understanding is that you actually left uh, quite a nice position at uber <laughs> before before you decided to you know strike it out on your own to do something like this was it the exposure to the to the uber model like what how did you guys actually decide to formulate this business i mean i think all all businesses are are rooted in the idea that there's a massive problem out there and the solutions that are available are not adequate yeah and we just you know, grew in conviction that we could build a better solution. Um, so while at Uber, 
where I was the head of vehicle solutions for Uber across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Mm. I was engaging with banks, leasing companies, car yeah. manufacturers to help design products that increase access to cars for Uber drivers, realizing that the way that asset financing or vehicle financing worked wasn't just broken in South Africa, but just broken everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and we felt that, well, everything we've learned at Uber about reducing friction, creating a better experience for the customer, we could bring that to the table in the automotive industry. Yeah. Um, and we saw the trend picking up steam in markets like Europe uh, and the U.S., where car subscriptions were now not, now starting to come into the zeitgeist. Yeah. And we felt that this was actually the right time. As South Africans, being a South African myself, I felt that we're very car-centric. Mm. We love our cars. Our, our cars mean more to us than just move from A to B. In fact, in some cases, the extension <laughs> of our homes. You know, we have you know, our, our clothes and all sorts of manner of you know, personal goods stored in them. Um, and that's, that's obviously a function of the fact that our cities are very, you know, spread. They, they, they spread quite widely. Mm. Um, so we felt like South Africa is car-centric enough to, to really rethink the way it approaches car ownership and car purchasing. Yeah. Um, and that's how we launched the subscription model, initially starting off with rideshare drivers who we knew had bad options. They couldn't yeah. even access vehicle financing. They were, they were renting cars on Facebook or Gumtree or something like that, yeah. um, oftentimes being exploited. Um, so we thought that we could start off create, designing the product and creating a product for that segment and eventually graduating to a product that we felt could be compelling for consumers. Mm. Now, you heard at the beginning of the segment that we take time to celebrate a young person in South Africa, you know, who's doing the thing. So if you don't mind our asking, right, firstly, how old are you? Right? <laughs> and then it's it's three questions. Firstly, how old are you? Uh, the second one is, uh, you know, where did you grow up? Right. And how did you end up, I guess, career wise? Could you take us through that? Yeah, sure. So. I'm at the tail end of what some might call youth. <laughs> I am now 35, uh-huh. um, so I'll have to hand over my youth card uh, this year. Uh, but I grew up in Pretoria. Yeah. Um, so in the north of Pretoria, um, yeah, a pretty um, you know, sort of common middle class, uh, you know, family and 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 uh, uh, and, and upbringing. Um, I eventually kind of came to to this through a myriad of different paths but the first was I became quite fascinated with mobility and how people move around very early on so at the age of 19 um, I was obviously just just now entering the university sphere it was my first year of university I was studying accounting at the time where? at, at Tux okay Tux yeah uh, so true, true to the Pretoria you know uh, upbringing and um, I thought that I, I had an idea around how we could streamline public transport. And um, I had this pitch that I made to the municipality. Uh, but that actually, that's what got my, my taste buds um, sort of um, introduced to the idea of entrepreneurship. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, to be, obviously, I think I was too wet behind the ears to understand what <laughs> I was really pitching. Yeah. Uh, but from that point, I realized that there was more in this prospect of entrepreneurship that I wanted to kind of double tap uh, into. Um, I eventually uh, decided to import scooters from China. Yeah. Um, so I imported scooters with the idea of selling them to fellow students. Uh, this is now at the tail end of my undergrad um, career. Um, that too also had some very expensive lessons you know, for me. Um, but after all of that, I realized that, you know what, it's pretty clear to me that I can't follow the traditional you know, path that's set based on what my undergrad was, which is accounting, mm. which would have been the, the CA path. Uh, but instead, 
I should actually just venture into entrepreneurship. And I did an MBA in entrepreneurship at Gibbs. Yeah, uh, It was the inaugural entrepreneurship MBA that they had. Um, and that's where I really learned, you know, a lot, got exposed to a lot of, you know, major South African entrepreneurs that imparted a lot of important lessons mm. uh, during that year. Um, following which I then joined you know, Deloitte as a strategy consultant. So I joined the strategy and innovation team in corporate venturing. So helping big businesses launch new products, new mm. ventures. Um, and after two years of doing that, I felt that I needed to, to really get my hands dirty again or at least feel like I was contributing more directly. Uh, and I left and I joined a company called The Way To Project, mm. which is an impact impact business uh, looking to help micro businesses in the townships grow from being a micro business to a medium-sized business mm. uh, whether through capital or training I spent two years doing that um, and that's how I got exposed to uber so uber approached us at the time saying look we are launching this new idea in South Africa we have come across a number of drivers in South Africa that could be operating on our platform but have no vehicles yeah um, how do we give them access to vehicles? And we had just launched a new fund um, providing financing to entrepreneurs, micro-entrepreneurs in the township. Um, it wasn't a perfect fit for our fund. We did trial something, but that was enough for me to approach the Uber team and say, I think you guys are sitting on something that's really uh, important. This is good work that could be done you know, more effectively if in collaboration with the local ecosystem. Um, so I then joined the Uber team and started designing the very first vehicle solutions program in South Africa, um, engaging with, you know, national treasury, you know, different enterprise development funds in South Africa, mm. designing products. And, and off that, Uber then kind of set me on this, uh, um, <laughs> you know, launch, launch path that uh, allowed me to see different markets, Nigeria, Kenya. Eventually I was leading uh, Middle East as well. And then, I moved to Amsterdam to lead Europe, Middle East, and Africa to mm. design you know, the whole team. And that's, that's where I then got conviction that there's something here, there's something cooking that we're just missing. Yeah, uh, and that's why we launched Flex Club. All right, cool. Now, before we go to uh, before we go to a break, uh, one of the things we always try to understand uh, from our brand new heavies um, when it comes to the upbringing, because I feel like. There's a lot of lessons that are lo- that are learned along the way, but sometimes the journey of an entrepreneur can be lonely, it can be stressful, etc. Um, you know the support uh, structure that you have around you, because I know that with Flex Club, for example, you started it in in conjunction with a, with a couple of people, right? So, what type of support uh, structure do you have around yourself? Whether it's friends, family, video games, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so. A number of different support structures that I count on. First and foremost, my family. Mm. Um, so I've always been inspired by my mother. So I was raised by a single mother um, who worked incredibly hard to make sure that I had the opportunities that I have mm. you know, from an from an education perspective, exposure to to different skills. You know, you know, different um, different talents that I could develop over time. Yeah, um, and seeing her work was obviously a massive driver in, in how I decided to approach my own career. Um, my wife, mm. uh, in, incredibly powerful uh, ally, because as, as, you, as you pointed out, this is a very lonely journey. Mm. Uh, you need that sounding board, the voice of reason that has a different perspective um, you know, to what I might have. My, my sister, actually, in fact, I call the three of them my, my three queens. <laughs> um, and they, they have been incredible voices. Outside of my family, and obviously, I've got extended family that have played their part as well. But outside of that, I have you know very close mentors, mm. um, some of which 
are on our board now at Flex Club. Yeah. Um, that are seasoned business executives that I count on. They've seen this rodeo a number of times. It's not their first movie. And if I kind of go to them with a challenge, more often than not, they, they've seen it before and they can give me their views on how they had approached it before. Mm. Or even if they haven't seen the exact same thing, how they might approach it now with the experience that they have. Yeah. Um, and that's allowed me to avoid rookie mistakes. Mm. Um, I, f- I feel like you know, there's an old African proverb, the idea that it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. The same is true about a business or a startup. Yeah. It takes an entire village. A lot of people need to kind of contribute their heart and soul into seeing it, you know, uh, come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people in this village, whether it be my family, my mentors, board members, um, you know, different advisors along the way, friends to some extent, yeah. um, peers, other entrepreneurs that I that I look up to. Uh, that have contributed to shaping the views that I have and how and, and ultimately how we shape our strategy as a business. Okay, cool. So we're in studio with uh, Tinashe Rosania, who is a co-founder and uh, CEO of uh, Flex Club, giving us some insight into uh, their business, where it came from, the journey, their value proposition, and uh, ending off talking about the support structure that's helping to keep him sane uh, as uh, they go through this rodeo, as he described it. Um, on the other side of this, we're going to be getting into you know another business in our COVID business watch, but we will definitely be back uh, with Tinashe. Keep it locked. This is the Business Buzz. COVID Biz Watch. On, on the Business Buzz. In our COVID business watch, we look and see uh, what the impact of COVID-19 has been on various businesses in and around South Africa. And for today, we are joined by Nolwa Zimkize, who is the founder and director at uh, Womantla Farming. Uh, Nolwazi, greetings to you. Greetings to you, sir. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, can you just give us some insight into uh, Womandla farming and I guess uh, what uh, type of trends you've seen during COVID-19? Um, so Womandla farming is like, I could just say it's still a little baby because it's a year old and it's just a couple of months. Um, we specialize in crop farming thus far. So last year was the year that we started, and unfortunately, we started in a year of hiccups. Um, we, could, we could all say a lot of things happened throughout the whole world, throughout different uh, departments and sectors, but in our farming department, we were the essentials, remember? Because everyone needed food at that time. So as time progressed, the stores that we were supplying, we started having to either have a battle to um, supply, and sometimes you'll find many farmers supplying the same amount of food due to various reasons. Um, for just, just an example, many farmers had a large quantity of spinach last year, especially towards the end of the year. Reason being, due to cold weathers, some people couldn't farm cabbages, and I'm one of those people. I tried out cabbages, but then due to the harsh weather, it didn't grow as well. So then spinach was my second option, and then that made it very hard to get it into stores because many people were trying to also get their spinaches into stores. That means the stores were willing to buy it at a very low price due to the fact that they also were affected by COVID-19. 
Uh, now, you've already highlighted, uh, you know, a number of different issues. And, you know, mm-hmm. one would think that because you guys were an essential service and, you know, despite the fact that people were, you know, largely sitting at home and there was that depression in economic activity, people still had to eat. Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess on the outside, you know, would think that business was, was thriving, but it sounds like you, you were facing a number of challenges. So I guess um, against that backdrop then, um, what type of, uh, you know, what type of ways were you then forced to think outside of the box? So, um, instead of supplying stores, local supermarkets, I decided to do um, locals and informal traders. So, by that, I mean, I started selling most of my goods via Facebook and went and delivered to people's homes. Instead of selling my bunch of spinach to um, checkers for like two rands or spa for like two rands, I ended up selling at a cost which is normal, which is like 10 rand, to cover costs for my workers and also to cover all the various costs that are into the business. No, no, thank you so much for that. And that actually makes sense, uh, you know, the approach that you took. Um, And then lastly from us is, you know, because you started your business during such a tough time, but you're still going, mm-hmm. it means that you must be doing something, right? So what lessons or what pearls of wisdom do you have uh, for maybe other entrepreneurs that may be struggling but are looking for some type of a sign? Well, first thing first, I did a whole year of research before I started my business. Mm-hmm. So in that year of research, I was looking for the cons and cons for it. So I was prepared for weather conditions that would actually wipe up my my harvest and all of that. Same thing, I did articulate a similar uh, problem last year. Um, Where I farm, there's usually like frost in the morning. It's cold. It's by the PMB area, Pittsburgh. So it gets really cold. I lost um, half a hectare of green peppers last year due to cold weathers. So now it's just all about learning from the mistakes and finding out from other farmers what you can do and trying to implement new ideas within the space. And like I said, Womanda is still like a year old, but already I'm planning on adding livestock by the end of the month. So I'm growing in both crops and also livestock. No, that's amazing. And we hopefully will have you again, you know, to talk about, you know, some of that growth uh, as you move your business forward. That was us with uh, Nolwazim Kize, who is the founder and director at uh, Womantla Farming, giving us some insight in our COVID business watch into the impact of COVID-19 on her business. On the other side of this, we continue with the show. COVID Biz Watch. COVID Biz on, on the business bus. On the go. Take us with you any, 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 anywhere on www.bafm.co.za. The, the business bus. We're in studio with our brand new heavy for the month of uh, April 2021. Uh, we are with uh, Tinashe Ruzane, who is the co-founder of Flex Club. They are an automotive subscription service. He is um, actually, I didn't say this at the beginning, he's actually our first in-studio guest, right? We are socially distancing, uh, but he is our first guest in studio uh, since, I would say, March last year. So, you know, it's really great, uh, you know, to be talking to someone like this. <laughs> 
I guess that you know that actually helps us to talk about uh, I guess COVID nineteen, right? Mm. We've just you've just heard from uh, Nolwazi and how you know she started her business during the pandemic and the way that she's responded to all of this. From your point of view, what has the pandemic done? Because you know, has it increased the the, the because transport transport trends you know were on the low at the same time we heard that the used vehicle market was on the rise you know all of these different dynamics what did you guys see yeah so we saw a number of different things um you know i I think the key is actually just remembering that you know as an entrepreneur you're you're really the captain of the ship and that just means that you have to figure out how to fight both the headwinds and you know make sure you make gains of the tailwinds and we try to think closely about what are really the tailwinds and headwinds that COVID-19 was bringing to the market Um, so obviously on the headwind front we saw you know so some of our major partners today include brands like Avis and Europe Car and we saw their businesses completely decimated Mm. business like Hertz in the US filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy uh, because no one was traveling for leisure, no one mm. was traveling for business. Uh, but then thinking through, what's the opportunity with a headwind like that um, versus a tailwind, which Nolwazi alluded to, is the idea that more and more businesses were looking to go direct to consumer yeah. via digital channels. Yeah. And e-commerce was now suddenly booming. Delivery was booming. Um, so make sense of all of those different things and rethink what our strategy should be. You know, if we go back to this analogy that we're the captains of the ship, but we have the sails, you know, in our control, how do we adjust our sails to maximize, you know, the, the momentum of the business overall? Yeah. Um, so that's how we actually got to the point where we established conviction that this is the right time to invest in consumer car subscriptions. Yeah. You know, when, uh, you know, some might have said there's too much, too much blood on the streets <laughs> don't deploy capital yeah uh, we took an alternative view of of leaning in saying this is a product that we think matters with or without COVID, and COVID is just now helping bring this into the forefront uh, because more and more consumers are open to the idea of consuming products via digital channels exclusively now another you know impact because I like the fact that you're touching on capital because even during this pandemic, you know, I hear that you guys were able to raise some money. Uh, I think $5 million, if I remember correctly, I think that's roughly 75 million rand or so. So can you take us through the funding journey, um, you know, of the business, I guess, before and after the pandemic? And does it change anything that when a pandemic like are you now pitching your businesses over zoom like <laughs> that was the that was the craziest part of fundraising through the pandemic i think you know you know in the tech world typically you're raising capital when you go on a roadshow to raise capital you're you know sort of face to face with investors you're building the rapport face to face where in this construct we had to do that like you said via zoom and there were a subset of investors that were open to that idea, while other investors wanted to be maybe a little more pragmatic and close their checkbooks and said, look, we're not going to deploy any capital until... Mm. We need to see it. Exactly. Yeah. Until the clouds have cleared. Um, but we're fortunate. I, mean, I think you know, sometimes you know, luck plays a big part yeah. of, of, of all of this. Um, but as the old saying goes, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm. And mm. I feel like we have been working on this strategy on this you know, this proposition uh for a while and we happened to come across an opportunity to engage with investors that were just 
incredibly progressive um, in the likes of Kindred Ventures, which is our largest investor to date. Uh, But both Kindred Ventures, CRE Venture Capital, both US-based funds that believe in what we're doing, not just in South Africa, we also operate in Mexico as well, but in what we can do in many more markets given the opportunity. Yeah. and uh, yeah, I, th- I think we were able to kind of lean into that. They bought into the vision because we shaped the vision of what our business looks like even beyond the pandemic, which is very difficult to do when everyone's kind of painting a picture of doom and gloom. Mm. Things will never be the same again. Mm. Um, but that's, that's, I guess that's the journey of an entrepreneur, even without COVID. Every entrepreneur has to fight that battle, the roller coaster ride, um, you know, the, the, the highs and the lows. Um, and we just, made sure that we, we kept the conviction that even in this low, we have to have a firm view of what our vision is long-term. Uh, was this the first capital raise? It was not. So our very first capital raise was in 2019. Mm. Uh, we raised $1.2 million uh, in January 2019. Yeah. Um, so this was an augmentation of that. Um, so not a Series B as such? No. So we still very much, we think of ourselves as, as a seed stage business <laughs> yeah. um, because... I mean, my, my view is that we haven't kind of broken through the ground. If you think about a seedling, mm. uh, we haven't broken through the ground in the sense that, you know, product market fit is uh, very clearly established. Mm. Um, you know, obviously now we're seeing very strong, you know, tailwinds that we're on the right path. Our new product on the consumer front is doing incredibly well. You know, signups are growing over 200% per month. Mm. Um, so watch this space. There very well may be another fundraise in the not-too-distant future. And can you give us a sense of, uh, you know, what that uptake has actually been like users, I guess even contrasting South Africa versus some of the other markets you guys are in? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, to go back to this, the sign-up piece, I think what we saw, what we were incredibly surprised by was how open South African consumers were to the idea of flexible you know, car access yeah. or subscriptions in general. Um, signups have continued to increase over 200% per month, mm. which is phenomenal. It just means that there's massive demand for the product. Um, we now serve hundreds of members that are subscribing for a vehicle. You know, as you pointed out earlier, a wide spectrum of vehicles. So we have, you know, commercial customers that are using their vehicles for business use, yep. like rideshare drivers, to private customers that are using their vehicle just for personal use all the way from an entry vehicle like a Kia Picanto to a luxury vehicle like a BMW X3 Um, and we're seeing even greater demand you know come through from other vectors that we hadn't considered before small businesses that maybe don't want to go the traditional route of financing a vehicle through a bank Mm. and would rather subscribe for vehicles you know through our platform Um, so that's been incredibly encouraging we see massive signs there and i think now with our partners on board we're well placed to take advantage of that demand Um, you know as i pointed out our business is not south africa specific we feel that south africa was a good market to build out the the foundation, yep. but we're also present in Mexico, uh, and our Mexican business is about experience a massive boom. Um, the commercial business in Mexico has a much larger market um, in comparison. So, one of the stats I like to point out to uh, point to is the idea that South Africa has approximately twenty thousand rideshare drivers yeah. um, that choose to use platforms like Bolt or, or Uber uh, to earn a living. Mexico has over three hundred thousand. Oh, wow. Uh, the U.S. has over one million. Yeah. They're, they're five million around the world. Yeah. So there's a massive segment there uh, that kind of you know really points to a massive opportunity for us to grow. Mm. But similarly, if you look at the broader population, South Africa is obviously a 60 million or thereabouts you know, population. 
Mexico is more than double that. Um, so we definitely expect that there's a lot more growth to be had in other markets that have similar characteristics to South Africa, whether that be across the African continent, whether that be across you know, Latin America more broadly, or even potentially Southeast Asia. Um, so we're ex- excited about you know how businesses place to take advantage of that. Yeah. Now, as we end off our discussion, you know, I want to focus on you uh, a little bit, and uh, firstly, just to get a sense of. Uh, before the last break, we spoke about your support structure, but as a as a CEO, as a young CEO, as a business owner, like how do you keep it all together? How do you, I guess, just make sure? Because, you know, right now we're in a student environment. Someone is finding it hard just to balance, you know, the subjects in university, but, you know, you're balancing the, the needs and pressures of employees, of you know, stakeholders, suppliers, you know, uh, your business partners, investors, South Africa, Mexico. You know, all of these things are all, I guess, swirling around in your head one way or another. How are you keeping it all together? So the one framework I like to use um, is the framework established in sports. Mm. Um, you know, business, as Mark Cuban might say, is the ultimate sport. Yeah. And, you know, the management practices that you can adopt as an entrepreneur when you're building out a business or building out a team um, are incredibly well served by sports. So none of, every, none of what we've achieved is achieved just by me. Um, there's an, an entire team um, of incredibly capable individuals that power all of this. And my role is to just ensure that they have the resources they need to build or really live out their talents. Mm. Um, just like a sport manager might. So if you think about a, a football club, for example, yeah. what's the role of the club's manager relative to the players on the pitch? And I think the one thing that allows me to keep my sanity is that I have complete confidence in the players we have on the pitch. Um, so I can't take the credit for, you know, how the team performs. Uh, ultimately, it's up to them as the players to, d- to deliver on the results. But it's my responsibility to make sure that they have the resources they need to, to deliver their best performances. And um, that's actually how not just me, but every leader inside Flesh Club pursues sanity, mm. is making sure we can scale our impact by bringing on capable people yeah. that we can just get out of the way. We can just get out of their way so that they can actually deliver their maximum impact. And then uh, speaking of resources, uh, what are you reading at the moment? It's it's a good question. Um, I I feel like most of my reading is actually done in micro segments. So I'm big on articles, a few publications that that are my go-tos. So local publications, Business Day, Mm. Bloomberg, um, a lot of Business Insider, a number of publications that I use to feed how I see the market evolving. I've turned on my Google alerts on all the key terms that I feel are relevant to me. So that comes through every single morning and that's how I start my morning is... You know, with with it's part of my morning sort of ritual is to consume what's happening in the market. Uh, but then beyond that, um, just about to get started. I haven't actually started yeah. officially, <laughs> but I'm just about to get started on No Rules Rules uh, by Reed Hastings. Okay, and that's the founder of Netflix. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Reed, and I have a lot of respect for what he's built and his ma- I, I consume a lot of YouTube as well mm. which must be said for a lot of younger entrepreneurs out there and how they consume content um, a lot of my top you know entrepreneurs and CEOs I've seen virtually all of their interviews yeah um, and made notes furiously on everything um, and Reed is just one of those that where I've just been amazed by his management philosophy and how different it is to the traditional way of managing mm. um, so going back to this idea of you know we're playing in a team it's a club 
how do you become better as a manager? Um, those are sort of things I'm trying to continue to develop over time. Okay, cool. So as we round up the discussion, our tradition uh, on the business buzz is to ask, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? Wow, <laughs> that's a that's a profound question. Yes, yes. Um, I, I think, to be honest, I'd just like to be a part of a broader movement um, and know that I contributed something to changing the way, um, you know, the way consumers engage with a specific product mm. or the way a, a problem is approached. Yeah. Um, ultimately, every entrepreneur out there is looking to solve a problem. And I'd like to build a solution that outlives me mm. or any of the team members that are part of this team today. Yeah. Um, and that's ultimately what, what defines a strong legacy. And uh, I hope that we can achieve that. But I'm certain that the team we have right now can do that. Okay, cool. Um, on the other side of this, we come to the end of the show. This is The Business Buzz. More justice on The Business Buzz. And with that, we've come to the end of uh, today's show. Thank you so much to everyone who was listening. But more importantly, thank you so much to our first in-studio guest uh, since before the pandemic. That's our brand new heavy for the month of April, uh, Tinashe Ruzani, who is the co-founder and CEO of Flex Club. He gave us insights um, into you know running that business, how it came about, um, his career, his uh, curiosity uh, when it came to the world of mobility. And I think my biggest takeaway way uh, you heard him talking about team 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 uh, that was one of the big things that I picked up on you know throughout uh, the discussion that um, it's about the team and it's about uh, bringing different skills and knowledge uh, together you know in the pursuit of a common goal and in this case it's to grow uh, the business that is flex club um, I guess before we go uh, Tinashe, how can people actually find flex club uh, online yeah, so we are on flexclub.co.za. If you happen to be in the market for a car, please do check us out uh, and feel free to browse and shop on there. Uh, guarantee that in less than a week, we can have the car at your door. Um, but yeah, we're also on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter um, as well. Okay, cool. Thank you to our amazing team. Our technical producer is Kutlano Sarame together with uh, our producers that is Gloria Mabusa and Tado Klimba as well as uh, Slind Lensi, um, CB and Sia Bonga Mota. Uh, so that's been it for today's show. Remember that you can keep in touch with us on Facebook. We have our firm of Voice of Vits. You can find our other Facebook page that is Vits Radio Academy and then on Twitter we're at uh, FM and then our hashtag is hashtag business buzz. Remember that you can uh, search for us on all the major streaming um, all the major podcast streaming sites and then you can also find us on vits.journalism.co.za forward slash business so that's been it for today's show don't turn that down there's more great content uh, coming up on the Vow FM lineup so for myself Leo Mob Justice Covers and the rest of the team it is good evening and take care The Business Business Buzz with Mudiwa Mob Justice Kavaza The Business Buzz Podcast.